Hello, this is Gerard Fox on The Verdict Is In. And today's session is without a guest because I'm going to use my 25 minutes to do something very important. And I hope that many general counsel are listening, many CEOs of businesses, family-run businesses, people who use lawyers. I'm going to tell you the truth about the law. First of all, lawyers who bill in hourly increments, I'll take them first. Often their firms are set up to encourage billing. Not efficiency, not results per se. The lawyers are paid bonuses at year-end based on the hours they bill. This is almost every big firm in this country, most mid-sized firms and small firms. They tally up the billed hours, they sit down and have a discussion, and they bill the lawyer based on how many hours they bill. I have been in many different law firms observing and worked in several before starting my own. And I can tell you that that encourages lawyers to pad their billing. When a lawyer is supposedly sitting in the quiet of their office drafting up a legal document or a complaint or reading cases or studying a form, there's nobody over them putting a timer on. They might decide that they want to interrupt what they're doing to take a personal call or to read something on social media. And then as their day moves on, they have to look backwards and bill their time. A few of them have programs where they can actually click a timer to start, but nobody's over them telling them when to click the timer to end when they go to the restroom or when they take a personal call or when they're just zoning out. And this padding of hours is encouraged by the fact that the firms set up a race to bill the most hours. This was something that many general counsel and business owners, including my mother, who's passed away, bless her soul, complained to me about constantly. So our firm does not at all, Gerard Fox Law, does not bonus a single lawyer or paralegal based on their billed hours. And does that change the dynamic of your law firm? You better believe it. Now, all of a sudden, lawyers are focused on what? Well, how they're going to earn their bonus. And in our firm, if at the end of the lawsuit or the arbitration, either through a settlement or a verdict judgment, if we take a look at how much money was spent, how much money was collected by our client, and what goals of our clients were achieved, we can decide whether we added value to the client. And if we do, then we bonus the team, the team of lawyers and the associates who were on that project. Sometimes the clients themselves bonus us for that. So... Value-added, value-based billing internally within the firm is something you should ask about. If I was the general counsel at any company with a group of shareholders whose uh, investment I'm protecting, I would not hire a single firm that bonus their lawyers based on billed hours. I would instead want to see that they had some system set up where they could measure and talk to the client about whether value was added. Get a frank assessment from the client. Did you add value or did you just hook up a hose to my company and bill me a lot of money without really adding value? So this is me speaking directly to every general counsel there is in the land. If you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. You're just looking the other way. You're passing the baton, you're passing the buck, and you're passing on inflated bills, and you know you are. So the second thing is, An hourly law firm should be willing after at least a month or so of the litigation where they see who the judge is, the opposing counsel, what the temperament of the entire case is, to give you an Excel spreadsheet with a budget. 
and they should agree to cap their fees at that budget unless you approve with a change order an increase in cost. And that's also responsible. And there are a lot of general counsel who do that, and, and I applaud them. But still, if you have people who have lawyers who are billing the file unnecessarily, they may bill every penny of your budget when they could have come in, very novel concept for law firms, under budget. And where you can get them to lay off some of the risk, where maybe they cut their fees and get a percentage of their recovery, that is also something you should consider. Law firms are not run to be efficient the way normal companies in America are run to be efficient. A normal corporation has shareholders and it has customers and it has to be as worried about tomorrow as it is about today. That's why you have research and development. That's why you have sales that take place. That's why there are discounts because they are building a customer base for tomorrow. In law firms, most of the partners fight over the division of profits at the end of the year, and all they want is as much money in that year for their back pocket. And there isn't a lot of loyalty in big firms now uh, among partners who uh, are splitting up this money. If they don't get enough, they leave and go to another firm. And you should think about that for a moment if you're a general counsel. As you watch these lawyers move between one big firm and another, and trust me, it's like an airport air traffic control out there now with partners who have big books of business moving to get more and more of the profit that's derived from their business that they originate. You, the client, pay for all the new lawyers and everybody else to learn the new system because you can't bring everybody completely over all the time. So I think general counsel in America need to wake up. I think they need to realize that they don't pick the law firm they're going to use because that guy golfs with me or because that big firm's name is so important. Think about Kay Scholler. Where is it now? It's not there anymore. It's part of Arnold and Porter. I could name you 20 to 30 big firms that cratered and went away. It isn't about the institution when it comes to the practice of law. It's about the actual lawyer that you hire. In our firm, I'm one of the top trial lawyers in the country. I'm not going anywhere. I'm very proud of my firm. We have offices in New York and L.A., and we litigate all over the United States at much lower rates with none of our lawyers being paid any type of bonus for the hours they bill, with speakers who come into the firm who talk about efficiency, and with clients who understand we adhere to budgets. For the average person and small business owner, the cost of litigation in general is going to be a shock if you're doing it hourly because it is an expensive process, even if it's done cost-effectively. And you should make sure that before you get all riled up and you sign a retainer agreement, that you have a general idea of how much this is going to cost you. And really think about alternatives. Like I had a group of executives who had earned a bonus and a large company wasn't paying it to them. They had hired a lawyer who was you know, on the cheap side, wrote a long, ineffective demand letter, went to a mediation and were offered nothing. They hired me. I have a very good name and people know who I am. And we wrote a very detailed letter. Collectively, they spent about five to $10,000 on putting together a letter that was very, very specific to the contracts at issue and the facts at issue. The other side agreed to go to mediation. We filed a mediation brief. And then the other side caved, settled, and caved them their money. So there are interim steps that can be taken besides just filing a complaint and jumping on the monorail of litigation. Let me also talk to you about contingent fee lawyers. 
Tom Girardi is one of the best contingent fee lawyers in Los Angeles for large, you know, mass tort disasters. Tom's a great guy. But even Tom would admit there are instances when he's come into court and couldn't remember or misstated the name of his client. Doesn't make him a bad lawyer, but it belies the reality that there are many, 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 many files that these lawyers have to take responsibility for because, you know, it's the law of averages. You know, they can't put all their time and money and their effort into one case. And generally speaking, you're not going to call a contingent fee lawyer and get your call picked up at midnight or one o'clock the way an hourly client will with their lawyer if they're a good litigator and they cherish their clients and they're very committed. So with a contingent fee lawyer, you're going to have to ask for more updates, demand more updates. You are, in the end of the case, if they're successful, paying over one-third of the recovery, which in some cases can be millions of dollars, which, you know, if you think about it, you should get five-star service if that's the case. You don't want to annoy your lawyer and call so much that they can't possibly think and get their job done, but you want to be able to set up a weekly call where you get an update on your case. And some contingent fee law firms aren't set up that way. So just know that there's also a big fact that I think I need to touch on here. If your case goes to trial or an arbitration, you need to know that you have a lawyer who knows how to make objections to evidence, who's comfortable on their feet, who can give an opening argument, pick a jury, hide the better witnesses that would be better for your side, you know, not make novice mistakes or worse yet, just mess the case up or not even in many cases show up with the right evidence to win your case at trial. So you should make sure if you think your case is going to go to trial that you have someone at the firm who's going to commit to try your case who has put on arbitrations or trials at least five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times over their career, because if they haven't done at least that many arbitrations and trials, and I've done dozens of arbitrations and many trials, they're not going to understand the process. And that leaves you at a tremendous disadvantage. And they might be nervous. And here's a little trick I'll tell you about lawyers. And this general counsel, listen closely. Big firms don't like to take cases to trial because if they lose, they'll lose the client. So they yes, yes, yes you as you're very annoyed about your fraud case or your breach of contract case or your defense on a product liability case or on a defamation case or on a fraud case, whatever the case may be, and they tell you you have such a great case and such a great case, and then they bring you inside those very fancy offices at jams where there's retired judges, and those judges will tell you, well, there's some holes in your case. They'll get you a decent settlement, and they'll tell you it's a touchdown, do a touchdown dance, great settlement, great settlement. No, not really. It may not even be close to a great settlement, but they weren't going to go to trial for you because they were afraid if they lost the case, they'd lose you as a client. And if you put truth serum in most of the litigators, who are not trial lawyers, at big firms, they would tell you, yeah, they're afraid to take the case to trial. They'd love to get the case settled before trial convince you it's the best bird in the hand you ever got and you know that's fine and you can do that dance with your litigator who will help you take that and repeat it to the ceo and the board and the shareholders it's all probably nonsense you know fine however if you 
really are going to go to trial, you better find yourself a trial lawyer who, A, is fearless, and B, willing to take the consequences of a loss. Now, another thing. I am surprised constantly at how often I go to trial on complex cases against big firms or even big motions. And in this last arbitration I had, they had three to four law firms, different law firms, and about six, seven lawyers handling the case against me. Every one of them were there every day for an arbitration that went on for, it seemed like a month, but it was like three and a half weeks for eight, nine, 10, 11 hours a day, billing at rates much higher than mine, like $800, $900, an hour, $700, $600, dollars an hour. And I was there with an associate billing collectively probably under $1,000 an hour. And we saw every piece of the case, we were responsible for every witness, understood the case firmly. And the other side had lawyers that only understood portions of the case. I also see, and this absolutely blows my mind, big law firms bring four, five, six lawyers to a hearing when only one lawyer can argue. You might want to bring one and not bill the client to show them what an argument looks like if they're a younger lawyer and you're training them, as long as that cost is on you. But very often, these big firms bring five or six lawyers to a hearing when only one lawyer can argue and just charge it through. I saw a very big company that I had sued And the general counsel was sitting among the five or six lawyers and was okay with it because they're too close with the large law firm and they're they're forgetting who they work for. They work for the shareholders. And if there's any shareholders of large companies listening to this, you should audit your company and ask them to provide the legal bills to you. Because I'm telling you, big companies still spend too much money and devalue their companies by using big law firms that are set up inefficiently and overbill. That's just the fact of the matter. Now, if you are using transactional lawyers or specialized lawyers, you want to find somebody who is an expert, but they have not grown so old in the tooth that they're going to make mistakes. And trust me, I've seen that. and I've litigated those messes where lawyers who are in the transactional arena don't look at the contracts that they have their clients sign. And I'm surprised at how often that happens. So you want to make sure that the person that you're hiring to draft a contract or form a corporation, that they're focused. Focus. I talk to my lawyers about this all the time. Don't you dare pick up a file or do a darn thing until you're 100% focused. If you're feeling tired, go home, get some sleep. If you're not going to focus 100%, you know, we're professionals. It's like surgery. Don't do the job. And you need to kind of find a way to make sure that your lawyer's focused. If they hand you a contract, read it yourself. If something doesn't make sense to you, it might be because your lawyer missed it, just didn't focus. They've done a thousand of these, and this one, they just weren't focused. So when you have a specialized lawyer, you run the risk of them being so used to what they're doing that they might fall asleep at the wheel. I'm going to have a guest on in my next segment, and so I'm advertising this ahead of time. He is a really great, young, progressive lawyer who handles family law matters. And I don't handle them, so I'm, not going to, I'm just going to tiptoe into that. But when you have a limited amount of money, let's say you have a house and has some equity, and you have 401k, and you have some money in savings, and cars, and money safe for maybe a little bit for your kids to go to college. 
and you have kids, a lot of the lawyers that you'll go to will destroy the whole situation in the family law arena. They will send you huge bills, feed your anger that you have when you're getting divorced and you're in to navigating difficult issues, and leave your kids scarred without their college tuition and the family a mess. And I mean, I'm telling you, I unfortunately went through a divorce, two of them, and that's the error of being a trial lawyer. But I'm going to tell you, the bills get very big, and they keep coming until they've exhausted the money that you have. So what you need is to figure what's the most cost-effective way to divide assets and to make sure that the kids are taken care of. They didn't do anything wrong. And you want kids who are as, as little affected by the divorce as possible. So if you're interested in how you do that, my next show, and I'd make sure that I know when you know when you're going to hear it, is going to be a guest who I just think the world of, a lawyer who's very involved in community activities, who has a practice in Manhattan, and just tune into that because I think it'll be very helpful. The whole approach to litigation should not be emotional. It shouldn't be emotional for the general counsel. It shouldn't be emotional for the individual, the small business owner, even though you're really angry. And often you are. I had clients who had loaned money for the closing. They had a fund that would loan money, hard money, for the closing of the purchase of a strip shopping center. But here it was a strip shopping center on a leasehold interest, meaning that the original builder didn't buy the property. He leased the property for 100 years and built a structure on it. And this was a sale by the leasehold owner, not the people who own the underlying property, called the fee. And they sold the leasehold interest to a buyer who borrowed money from my client to close the deal. The buyer was supposed to put in their own money and close the deal, and they never did. It was a scam. It was fraud. And yet the title company and the transactional lawyers who were handling the deal never checked to see if they put their money in. So title was transferred. And in fact, it wasn't just title for the leasehold. The lawyers and the title companies messed up so much that they transferred the fee interest as well. They gave more property rights to the buyer who hadn't come up with his own portion of the cash to close the deal. Does it shock you that professionals at times are asleep at the switch? It doesn't shock me because I spend my time litigating those messes. And so my client ultimately had to foreclose on the property because the loan was for a short period and the party was obviously a scam artist and they weren't going to have the money to pay him back. They collected the rents in the shopping center they sold the fee interest that they knew they had no proper title to some other people, some third parties. And our guys went to go sell the property that they foreclosed on because they weren't in the business of managing strip shopping centers. But the fee owner had a lawsuit and they filed something called a list pendants, which is notice to the world that they have filed a suit against you to clear title. But my clients had never purchased the fee we weren't sold the fee. We, we foreclosed on exactly what was supposed to be conveyed, which is the leasehold interest. So we were never challenging the fee ownership, but we couldn't close the sale until 
the list pendants was removed. And there was another firm that simply sat by and lawyers are taught a few things, eight or 10 different moves, eight or 10 different ways to do something, very paint by numbers if you ask me. And that's what they do. And then they don't do anything else. If they're stuck because they've never really put their mind around an issue in a passionate way, the way a good trial lawyer like myself and several others will do, they'll just get stuck and leave you in that stuck position. And that's what happened. And the sale was jeopardized and our client could have lost a fortune. They fired that firm and hired my firm and we went forward and dealt with the issue and got the list pendants removed by simply sitting down and realizing there was a problem and that we had to figure out how to solve it as opposed to there's a problem. I don't know how to solve it because in my limited career, I haven't been taught that. And that's the sad fact. There are lawyers in big firms who did three or four years of document review and they don't know how to draft a complaint. A complaint should not be written without jury instructions. In fact, if your lawyers ever file a complaint for you, you should make sure you ask them, can I have a copy of the jury instructions you use to draft the complaint? Because the jury instructions tell you what proof you have to have when you go to trial and what the elements are, the, the, the pieces of the cause of action that you have to put in evidence on that prove. And many lawyers don't even know when they go to trial what their burden of proof is and what the elements are that they have to address. So I wrote a book once called Sue the Bastards. It really was meant to teach the average person how to use lawyers effectively. And I will tell you whether you're general counsel and you have your pick of any big law firm or your CEO who owns a couple of different businesses and uses lawyers a lot, rethink how you use them. Spend time asking questions like, hey, you're drafted a complaint, you're about to file it, can I see the jury instructions? How do you compensate the lawyers at your firm? Are they bonused by billing more hours to my case? Or do you have a more modern and progressive and efficient system? Have you guys really tried cases? Can you give me the list of cases you tried or arbitrations? I want to make sure you know how to put on witnesses and that you're not just a litigator. A litigator just means you, you process paper and argue motions. That's very important work, but it doesn't mean you know the first thing about putting on witnesses in an arbitration or trial. And there always should be some type of a relationship between the client and the law firm where the the lawyers are always held accountable within the structure of the deal to retain them, to do excellent work, to do the greatest work, to be great, to be, as Kobe Bryant said, greater than anybody. When you see a lawyer who's thirsting to be better than anybody, who has as much passion for your matter, whatever it is, then you found the right lawyer. And then you can ask questions and communicate with them and make sure they communicate with you and give you updates and make sure they're focused. Have a great day. Thrive on. This has been a fantastic opportunity for me to speak to my audience directly. I'm going to have lots of guests on who are going to educate you for every type of lawyer you could use or legal situation, how to do it effectively, cost effectively, and how to do it maybe even sometimes on your own. And most importantly, we're also going to have people who use lawyers who will tell you what their experiences have been, both good and bad, so you can hear those. I think if you listen to our show on a regular basis and you have a small family business or you have a mid-sized business or let's just say you're a business that's been affected by this pandemic and you need to cut costs, you'll have many ideas about how to do that and how to use lawyers to add value to your bottom line. 
disregard labels. Big law firms are made up of different lawyers who have different skill sets, different quality sets, and don't usually have any incentives for their lawyers to do anything other than bill hours. A lot of those lawyers don't know how to try cases. So get over the idea that if you hire a big firm, you're doing the right thing for your company. No, you're not. Don't pretend you are. And by the way, find the best lawyer, find the passionate lawyer, find the lawyer who's going to add value to your company, that you're going to be able to look the shareholders straight in the eye at the end of a case and say, these guys got the job done and we're worth more as a result. And if you're having to litigate the contracts that have been put together for you or your audits because your accounting firm are also a group of people who, you know, you meet at the watering hole at the golf club, change them and get more effective better people who don't cause you to be in lawsuits all the time. All right. Now, listen, I've been frank. I've been blunt and I'm fired up now. You have a great day. Look forward to listening to the people on my show. And remember, Chief Fox at GerardFoxLaw.com is how you can get in touch with me or 310-441-0500 and ask for my assistant and she'll put you in touch with me. I'm almost 24-7. I love what I do. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.